From time to time, I run summer schools and spring schools and other online classes for listeners to Tent Talks who are interested in exploring these issues in a deeper way. This material is now available online on our website. If you go to www.tenttheology.com and follow the link to Courses and Resources, you will find a whole collection of in-depth studies and talks and seminars, which you can access free at point of contact. We don't want price to be a barrier to anyone, so the material is offered on a pay-as-you-can basis. We appreciate any support you can give to keep Tent Talks going. And, as always, we hope that the stuff we make continues to be useful and interesting to you as you navigate these very strange times we live in. Visit www.tenttheology.com and look for Courses and Resources. Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. From time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St. Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the Vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. chapter uh six yep and uh we finished last week if you remember at um money and where our treasure is and and the god mammon that is an idol for so many of us jesus speaking about money as he as actually he frequently does throughout the gospels and i felt a bit loath to split it at that point for the passage we're going to look at now because i for me they are inextricably connected right yeah Um, and we're going to be looking at the subject of worry, which given that the preamble, not even the preamble, but the, the context for this comes after uh, Jesus' kind of appeal to us not to place our identity and our um, our sense of serving money uh, at the center of our lives. Uh, and of course, once you start doing that, once you start setting money to one side, What's the thing that it creates within us? Anxiety, right? Anxiety, exactly. And how many of our anxieties are linked to money as well? About our career, about what we're able to afford, about a roof over our head, about providing for uh, our family, about elderly parents maybe, kind of what their end-of-life care might be like from our children and their upbringing. You know, every sphere of life is touched by money. And for many of us, it's a cause of anxiety. And in fact... As I think I said last week, I've got a friend of mine who works in asset management and okay. um, his job is to help rich people invest their money wisely. And indeed, just because they are rich and we're talking very rich, yeah, uh, does not mean they are any less anxious about their money. In fact, 
he would observe that they were more so. They were less free yeah. about money. So we're going to be looking uh, at the thing, the, the thing that Jesus talks about after the whole topic of money. But the whole oh. point that Jesus was talking about was uh, in, in what we talked about last week. And the thing that I really carried with me into this week, uh, Stephen, after our conversation, was the distinction between being rich and being wealthy. Yeah, right. And and we consider ourselves not most of us consider don't consider ourselves rich or wealthy. But actually, as you spoke about last week, Stephen, that reminder that actually anybody who has enough was considered wealthy. Yeah, that, that if you had enough to do the job you had to do. Yeah, to to put a roof over your head to you or know to do you whatever. Want... I mean to, you could extrapolate that. You could say like you have enough to do what the Lord is asking of you. You are considered wealthy. So, so if the Lord wants you to start a Fortune 500 company and you have the money to do it, then you are wealthy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. So let's read. I, I, why don't you uh, read from, have you got David Bentley Hart in front of you? David Bentley Hart's translation of the New Testament. I've got it at verse 25. Absolutely right. Verse 25. So, Therefore, yeah. I say to you, do not worry regarding your soul, what you will eat, nor regarding your body, what you will wear. Is not your soul more than food and your body more than garments? See the birds of the sky that they neither sow nor reap nor gather into granaries, but your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more excellent than they? But who among you can by worrying lengthen the span of his life by a single cubit? And why do you worry over clothing? Look closely at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither labor nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was garbed like one of them. But if God thus clothes the grass of the field, which exists for today and is thrown into an oven tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, men of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what might we eat, or what might we drink, or what might we wear? For the Gentile people seek after all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But first seek his kingdom and his justice, and all of these things shall be supplied to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has evil enough of its own. There you go. There we, there we go. Some slight differences in your, from your translation? Yeah, just a, a few here and there. Yeah, and obviously there's that verse that we, we would commonly uh, translate, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Yeah. It's translated yeah. differently. Um, uh, seek first his kingdom and his justice, which is an interesting yeah. translation. Interesting, yeah. We'll talk yeah, about the, that in a bit, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, the fact that justice is added into it rather than presumed um, as part of the kingdom of God. Right. Yeah. Um, no, my translation of that particular verse is instead, he says, make your top priority god's kingdom and his way of life yeah and all these things will be given to you as well <clears throat> and his way of life that was where it gets translated as justice so justice interesting yeah, it's interesting. That, and, for sure and in the <laughs> niv of course that doesn't really no what does the niv say i i'd be interested to look because there's a reason why i mean this is this is one of those times where you've got blind spots and you have cultural you iron things out yeah, so the NIV uh, and his righteousness. So, so seek first the kingdom, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 
I, this is maybe let's just start talking about that first. Yeah. Maybe, so that's first. So we got three different ver- We got three different. Yeah. Translations of this one word. The NIV, the one we're probably most of us are familiar with. Uh, it says righteousness. David Bentley Hart uh, used the word justice, and the yeah. word that we have here is his way of life. Way of life. It's good because it's not that like one of these phrases is wrong. It's not that. It's that you have to just pay attention to how much. Like what what those words kind of feel like to us, right? So yeah, to the, to certain audiences, and if you're the kind of audience that is really now NIV is classically like the real evangelical. It's a North yeah. American evangelical, yeah, it's yeah, the one in all the evangelical Anglican churches as well. And, yeah, yeah. And when evangelicals hear the word righteousness, they are trained to really think about it in terms of that what we would think of as that kind of inner salvation, right? You yeah. think of it in terms yeah. of sin. Yeah. And then when you think in terms of sin, you're thinking about your own inner sin. That's just the way evangelicals have been trained from yeah. Martin Luther onwards. I mean, this is a long yeah, time. I was going to say, day, right? It's not like it's, it's not like Billy Graham invented this, right? No, so, no. Or, or even, you know, Wesley or Whitfield. This, this goes like back. This goes back. It goes back. So, and I'm not saying it's all bad, right? I'm just, I want you to hear this. I'm not saying it's yeah. all bad. Yeah. But yeah. just be aware if you are trained, if you're an evangelical, your imagination has been mightily run down certain channels. Yeah, that it's very hard for evangelicals to imagine righteousness and sin as anything other than your own private personal sin life. Yeah, right? yeah. So that if you seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, then you are, if you seek God's kingdom and take care of, and take control of yourself, then all these things will be added. Right. Yeah. That's the kind yeah. of way that we often, and then that's the, that that helps underlie a lot of things that we see in evangelical culture when it comes to money. Uh, at, leading to things like the prosperity gospel right yeah but and even less than that just leading to places where you th- god helps those who help themselves that kind of phrase yeah yeah or you know that kind of stuff that's all evangelical it's all about like you get out what you put in um the work you know the, the, that that if you're poor it's because you're lazy um that 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 your money is a is a some sort of indication of a life well lived right yeah and so then when you read seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, you're already kind of primed to think that means try harder in your life, in your private life, like, like be a better person, be well, a better character. Well, particularly right? because the, the verb there is to seek. It's a very active thing to do. You know, yeah, it's, no. it's a sense of pursuing. It's a sense of chasing after, to seek after the kingdom of God. It's almost like this kind of carrot on a stick that is quite never quite obtainable. It's there and it's within yeah. reaching distance. Seek after. There's a kind of very much a kind of work ethic that goes with that. But it's also quite individualistic. So the idea is, I mean, evangelicals love that bit uh, where Paul talks, likens the life of faith to, to being like an Olympic athlete where you work really hard and you train your body. And so you just have to notice that. Like, I'm not saying those imagery is not in the Bible because it clearly is the, the personal striving stuff. But just pay attention that that evangelicals love the personal striving, yeah. personal character stuff to the extent that they miss the other things. Yeah. And it's, also part, it's part of the whole picture. And what yeah. I want to talk about is that, so now uh, Tom Wright, who, ha- who has a lively sense of, I guess what we would call the political social aspect of the gospel. He is aware that that word for righteousness is also more like the way of God or the right way of God. Yeah. So he says yeah, yeah. God's life. Okay. Yeah. So he's trying to get you to think in terms of like, you're patterning yourself after the way of God. Not a, It's not throwing you back on your own resources saying, just go on, pull your socks up, John, and be a better John. 
He's saying pattern yourself after the life of God. All right. Yeah. 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 Which is good. And then David Bentley Hart, who has, I would say, probably an even livelier sense of wanting to. He's not an evangelical. So it's interesting to just to see where he goes when, when he stumbles across this word. Yeah. That his his mind doesn't instantly turn to words like righteousness. I can't even to, to be perfectly honest. I can't remember the exact word, which I know is terrible of me. I should have researched. I'm going to go and look it up. Go and look it up. But I, what I want to say is that all these words are right. It's not that the one is wrong and one is right. It's that they all just reveal something of the translator. That what did they go for when they run across this word? What did they go for? Yeah. And somebody like a Bentley Hart is going to go for justice. Now, righteousness, God's life and justice are all synonymous. They are the same thing. Yeah. It's yeah, just interesting definitely. to see what word they chose. Because go on. For, for, for Bentley Hart, because he's very aware, if, if you know anything about his writing and stuff, you know that he's very aware of the early Christian economic practices as well. And he's also very aware that the early community of Christ followers were, well, they were that kind of acts to everybody sharing things in common yeah. kind of groups of people. Yeah. But it was more than just one or two verses. Like he's saying, look, this was, this was a whole practice that they were doing. And one of the things they recognized was that poverty is not a result of your private sin. It's a result of our collective sin. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. if you are the, the only reason there's poor in the land, there's only reason there's these poor people who cannot live. They don't know where their resources are coming from from day to day is because somebody somewhere else is hoarding and keeping too much. Uh, and they're being rich. They're hoarding away. They're not being wealthy. They're not putting it in yeah. circulation. So yeah. when you see this, like, seek first God's kingdom and his justice, and all these things will be added to you. It's not a magic, like, if you try really hard and don't sin, God will reward you. It's let's seek first God's kingdom and the justice that comes from living in God's kingdom. And then there won't be any poor amongst us. Hmm. If, you, if you actually pattern yourself, you, you have an attitude towards money, you, you organize yourself well. You actually don't hoard. You keep things in circulation. You're open-handed with your wealth. Then there, all these things will be added to you. You, yeah. the poor will get clothes. The, the 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 hungry will be fed. Right. So it's not like a magic formula. So you're saying that the the word justice is a is because because my initial reaction was that justice and righteousness are different things, but they coexist together. And when I, I quite like Tom Wright's. Um, speaking of the way of God, the, the God's yeah. way of life, kind of took both terms under that. Um, you know, as an umbrella for yeah. both. It's something like I, God's perfect life, or something, or the, the yeah, the, the life lived in a perfect, godly way. Yeah, which is righteousness. I mean, it is everything being rightly aligned, all the pieces properly in place. But it is also justice. Yeah, that the justice of God and the righteousness of God—they're not like wildly separate things it's kind of like well when i mean justice uh, an ancient just uh, augustine talked about a definition of justice an ancient definition of justice is that everyone gets what they deserve everyone gets their what is owed to them okay so if you can point to a situation which everyone is getting what is owed to them justice yeah. has prevailed and okay. uh and so then you have to think okay well who is in our society like and what what is owed to them and and, and there's this idea it's connected to shalom 
Yeah. So if you think of the peace. Jewish idea of shalom, which is perfect peace, but it's a it's a perfect peace in the sense of like every every piece is in its right place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've, I've come the, across translations like that before. They're kind yeah. of everything has its order. Everything has its order, which is justice. So you get shalom, justice, and that's only going to happen. Everyone's going to get what is owed to them when God's righteousness prevails. Yeah. So shalom, justice, and righteousness are kind of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Which which is interesting then when we see that come at the end of a passage around worry. Because yes. actually yes. that idea of shalom, that, yeah. you know, that, that everything has it, you know, there is a kind of huge sigh of relief it's a bit like when um those of those of us who are musical when we hear a bit of music and the chord or the mu- piece of music resolves itself yes. yeah yeah, you're, yeah, kind yeah. Of, you're kind of on edge until it was there's a kind of sigh of relief you know yeah. oh good I, you know everything's found its place musically and we see it here when he's talking about worry is that actually worry is an absence of peace about right. tomorrow essentially it's yeah. an absence of shalom yes yeah, and it is also might be coming from genuine, genuine need as well. I mean, you have to remember this is this is actual poor people Jesus is talking to. He's not yeah. talking to theoretical poor people. He's talking yeah. to actual poor people who really don't know where their food and clothing is going to yeah. come. Yeah. So Jesus is speaking a word of provision to them. But his kingdom that he's building, if you ever think about this, that the kingdom isn't just this theoretical nice idea. It really is the real people living in actual ways Jesus asked them to live. Well, the kingdom then is the solution to the poverty. So if you are a poor person and you join the kingdom of God, hmm. you've joined a group of people who are going to make sure that you're not poor anymore. Yeah. So it, it is the provision that, you know, the, the kingdom is the solution to the problem. Yeah. I would hasten be- to add, this isn't a solution to every, to the whole world's problem. That I, th- I mentioned this as well last time, like the Sermon on the Mount isn't a, an economic doctrine that a nation yeah. can put into practice. It's not it's kind not, of, of communism. It's, you're not, yeah, it's not a political movement, right? It's, it's a bit of a kind of get your own house in order sort of a, atmosphere going on here. It's not exclusive. So it's, 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 it's aimed at king themselves part of the kingdom of God. It's not aimed at everybody. It's just aimed yeah. at people who call themselves members yeah. of the kingdom of God. But then I'd hasten to add anybody could be a member of the kingdom of God. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not so exclusive. Theoretically, if you push it to its end, it could be how the whole world operates. Right. But it's not going to be like that some nation adopts these principles. Like yeah. you, if you elected a Christian government and they tried to do like it's not going to work. Uh it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It it works when a, there's a community of people living a lively alternative politics, but it doesn't work in some kind of you know, imposed from above. But by the way, it's never been imposed from above. So it <laughs> The other thing is you'll notice when Christians historically get themselves in positions of power, they don't try and impose this on people. Mm. They're not actually trying to do that anyway. They they very quickly turn back to the old ways of and actually uh, American predatory politics. lending and <laughs> violence and yeah. Well, it's, what's interesting is that within within American politics, there's very much a kind of um, for those who who are right leaning, kind of would normally vote Republican. What what whatever we might think of that. There is definitely a sense in which it is not the government's role to force you to live in this way, uh, that it's that it's for you to live and to be generous and to live in the kingdom way as you would choose. There's very much a kind of individual sense of conscience about that. 
and that and that the government is is not there to, to yeah kind of twist your arm in that regard. But then you do often find those same types of Christians you've just talked about. They then even when given even when given like their complete freedom to do as they want, they still end up acting in economic ways that's against what Jesus said to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I I know plenty of people who who do live like that and they do really do live it out, but it, I think yeah, you're, I do too. It does yeah. fe- it feels like the exception rather than the norm. Yeah, I, I do too, but it isn't something we, one finds across the board. And no. and that you have to ask yourself why, you know, and, and that's part of what a lot of my work is. It's it's not that it's hard to understand the sermon on the mount. It's it's more like well, seeing as it isn't actually that hard to understand, why is it that Christians throughout the generations don't actually want to do it that to looking at other forces in the world that are more attractive and more powerful so why is that well i mean even the gospels the gospel of john described it he said uh, the light shines in the darkness but men prefer darkness because their deeds are evil Hmm. and and we do actually like to clutch tightly to our own stuff and we really like the hierarchy that comes with rich on top and poor below us. And we like, we find comfort in climbing that greasy pole and positioning ourselves above people and below people. And, you know, we, no, that, I, that's why I think this, we have that. We like it. Having a, having a watertight theology of sin creates a framework for this kind of conversation because at an individual and a corporate level, right. There is a reason why we struggle to do the, the, the base, as you said, and this isn't complex, but it isn't easy either. Uh, in, no. You know, mandate within the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a reason why why it's not easy. And that's because our flesh is weak. And um, also it's not. And also one of the reasons why um, evangelicals typically have failed to do this very well is because of that individualism that I began talking about. Because we, we tend to read the New Testament as if it's a, a private letter written just to you filled mm-hmm. with instructions that just you have to go and do. Mm-hmm. We don't think of it as as a set of uh, documents written to a movement of people who are all collectively trying to do this thing and help yeah. each other do it. Uh, so that's partly why as well, because of course you're going to fail. The Sermon on the Mount is impossible yeah. by yourself, but you, you, but you can give a pretty good go at it if there's lots of people pulling all in the same direction. Yeah. So let's talk about worry. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah let's have a look. I mean, so it starts with this, you got to remember about Jesus being like the new Moses and about the Sermon on the Mount being um, a fulfillment of the law and, and a continuation of the Hebrew story. And it's not. So think about the Hebrew story. I want to think about like manna and quail in the desert, right? In Exodus yeah. 16 yeah. or uh, think about how Elisha gets sustained in, in second Kings. Uh, God is sending food to sustain Elisha or think about the widow whose jar of oil doesn't run out those kinds of things yeah think about in the new testament jesus and the fishing miracles so he's more than once he's sending people out to go fishing and they end up finding stuff that they had no business finding uh jesus feeding people on the mountain like the five thousand and the four thousand and all that yeah uh even even the eucharist even the even him in in the, the last supper or him making breakfast for his disciples on the beach like there's a lot of the idea of Jesus uh, being part of the story of provision for his people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of part of there. And and you could sum it up as something like the creator God provides <laughs> the idea like that. Jesus is part of that story, which is the yeah. creator God provides. Um, and so when Jesus is talking about do not worry, 
he could also he's talking to people literally in the desert who themselves might be remembering that there was a story about people in the desert being provided yeah, yeah. for from day to day, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not yeah. like a it's not a kind of um a middle class again, this is another one where our socioeconomic comes in because you and I are both firmly in the middle class, <laughs> right? And we've both yeah. firmly won the lottery ticket in life as it were and we yeah. live in a position of of comfort yeah that so we t- and and so does i'm get i'm gonna guess most people listening to this right now so we kind of have this idea it's really hard to think of not think of this as aimed at somebody like us but it's not really it's 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 not aimed at making middle class people feel comfortable that they'll always have what they need it's aimed at actual poor people <laughs> knowing that they're going to be provided, they're going to live another day. And then there's a kind of a radicalness. So if you think about it, so if you are, if you find yourself a real poor, a tokla, so like a, the, the poor in spirit that Jesus said, you have to be, you don't know where your provisions are going to come from. Then you hear this as, as a word of in comfort and encouragement. Okay. But if you are like you and me, and we are bourgeois middle-class people with, with more than enough in the bank. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Then we hear that as a radical, like, why are you, you know, what, what are you doing with this? Why are you relying on your, on, on your bank account when you should be like a poor in spirit? Like, so there's a kind of a radical edge to it. Yeah. Cause it's, a, it's sort of asking us to risk being poor in spirit ourselves. So One to help is- the others poor in spirit and to be it ourselves. Yeah. One thing that I, I, strikes me, just as you give the, some of that context, is how at no point throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and, and particularly as we look at this particular passage right now, does Jesus make this direct allusion to Moses or, 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 or the experience of the people of Israel in the desert? So he doesn't, you know, he could have said, in fact, he does allude, of course, to the law. He says, you have heard it said. Yeah. And then, and then he kind of yeah. makes a corrective. You kind of think within the same kind of pattern that he might say, do you remember the time when the people in Israel, you know, they were provided for, and so you will be provided to? It kind of he sets. It's almost set up for him to say something along those lines. Yeah, he's he's given some echoes of the past of their their Jewish history that they've inherited. Yeah, uh, and it's almost like it would be dead easy for him to say, "Do you remember when Elisha was provided? Do you remember when? Do you remember when? Do you, you know?" But instead, he goes back to complete basics and says, "Look at the birds of the field." You know. Yeah. Look at the, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's you're right. He's not like he's not setting up heroes of the faith that you have to emulate. He's just no. saying like that's another way of thinking about shalom, right? It's like, well, if the creator God, he created everything. Everything has its rightful place. Well, go look at creation then. That's that's the sort of image that we're getting. It isn't a heroic moral heroism that you're being asked to do. No. I it, it's also worth mentioning or realizing that like the disciples themselves are more in that kind of i mean i'm using the word middle class which is completely anachronistic but right right the disciples themselves came you know peter had a house he had a wife and he had a house uh john and james had a fishing business so we know that these disciples they themselves weren't utterly poor okay so jesus is also at least by at least by history because i mean just push back a little bit he you know they still had to lay down their livelihoods to follow Jesus. Yeah, they did. They did. And so they might then be feeling anxious about it. <laughs> so yeah. he's saying, okay, think what you just did. Now don't be anxious about this. Yeah. 
but also like later on in Matthew. So in Matthew nine, we're only in Matthew six right now in Matthew nine, Jesus is going to send out the disciples with instructions. He's, he's teaching them right now and he's teaching his people. And then in Matthew nine, he's going to send them out and they're going to start acting and the things that he's been teaching them. And one of the main things he instructs them on is about like, don't take extra tunics and don't take, don't take more than one bag. And so he's, he actually gives them socioeconomic instructions about how to go out into the world, yeah. which is don't rely, don't take more than you need. And yeah. what you do have to do is rely on people of peace who are going to help you when they see you, right? You, 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 you go out into the village and you find people who bring you in. So you're, you, you're being asked in these passages in Jesus's teaching, you're being asked to be open to other people's hospitality or provision for you. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, again, it's the opposite of moral, like, go to, it isn't about being this superhero who's just all by themselves, rugged individualism. Yeah. It is, this is why uh, Americans, uh, evangelicals especially, have a problem following this stuff. Because one of the big myths of America, of course, is rugged individualism, is that it is just me and the world. And I, there's no government, there's no state, there's no society, there's just me. And I got to do it myself. Whereas Jesus's teaching is not about doing it yourself. It's saying, if you're rich, you have to give to other people. And then if you ever find yourself with something, you need to give it away. And, yeah. uh, and if you find, and if you find yourself poor, you need to rely on other people to help you. Yeah. And that's the kind of, it's not about being all by yourself, but he, he's, he's saying, don't be anxious about it. So I think the word anxiety has to do also with the activity of clutching like grasping. Hmm. So when you're kind of hoarding or yeah. smaug the dragon in, in the Hobbit, you know, the, yeah, the, that yeah. kind of idea that that would be an anxious person. Yeah. And so if you're not anxious, it's not just a mental attention to guess what's going on in your heart and mind. Yeah. It's also like, are you, are you spending your energy running after provision or are you spending your energy doing other things? And yeah. you can tell an anxious person by, by how they're using their time as well. Yeah. It's interesting, the, the idea that Jesus doesn't set up heroes of the faith. Right. And I don't think I've ever clocked that. I'd have to do a proper Bible study throughout the Gospels, but I'm not too sure Jesus ever refers to Old Testament heroes in any way. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'd have to do a bit of Bible study on it. because I, I can I think of one time where, he, he, uh, where John and James want to bring down fire on the, on the enemies, as in the day of Elisha. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I, and, but uh, I can't I can't yeah. think of what times when he's appealed to you know Moses or the example of um any talks, of the, well he does talk a bit about Abraham and Moses but he doesn't appeal to them as as heroes that's true and I know part part of me wonders whether that actually if you take this example about worry I wonder whether it's a kind of you know who knows um, it's a bit of conjecture here but you know. You know, by by not having a hero of the faith that they'd all be familiar with, mm. that in some ways they they lead a life that is unobtainable. I'll, well, I'll never be like Moses anyway. So, right. so it's almost already by setting up a hero that is too far away, both in terms of time and in terms of example. Yeah. For for little old me to achieve their their kind of holiness and their kind of you know brilliance in following god yeah um that in actually taking that out the the equation and just appealing to just very everyday things the birds of the sky yeah uh, and the the grass and the uh, the grass of the fields yeah he's essentially saying guys this isn't about 
trying to be anybody other than yourself, but you, you know, yeah, the, the bar is quite low. You know, yeah, was, yeah. You, when you were saying, I was going to say, you're right. Like <clears throat> by appealing to some ancient hero of the faith, you're kind of it's so distant that you might as well not bother because like you're right. designed to fail. It's unobtainable. It's unobtainable. Yeah. But the but, birds of the sky are not just there and there, but they're, they're also, I mean, even, yeah. even the most lowly individual in that crowd will still think of themselves as more valuable than the bird, bird, bird yeah. of the sky. And in fact, that's what Jesus says, you know, how much more valuable are you? And there is this kind of sense in which this isn't about trying to be this unobtainable, perfect person. Don't worry, yeah. Because because you, and this is something that you can do. You can you can live a life that is that, that isn't full of anxiety and worry because you are loved, um, because your Father will provide. For I you. mean, and Jesus Himself lives in this way. So in Matthew eight, eighteen to twenty two, you'll see this as well. Jesus Himself lives this way. So He's not He's not setting some kind of weird law. Yeah, He's just doing it Himself, and then yeah. He says, "Come follow me." So. Before we go on, I want to we talk about real people doing it. That you are, you also see this happening in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters. So when Paul is and in the book of James as well. So you actually see evidence of people living this way. Like you think, well, what would it look like to live a life of do not worry of Sermon on the Mount? Well, it would look like Paul when he, you know, how you you probably know how 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 often he talks about this this fund, this gift that he's collecting. There's the poor people in Jerusalem that are being um, hit by a famine and he and he's he's going to other churches and he's saying, you've got wealth. Let's give it to me and I can distribute mm. it to our other poor brothers and sisters. So well, he's putting he's like it's an organized attempt to obey yeah. the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, it's a whip round. It's not rocket science. It's that, <laughs> but you can see it happening. Right. And he really cares about it. And he talks about it a lot. Um, you see James talking about it. You see the Acts stuff. We've talked about that many times. So you do see examples of the early New Testament church doing it, really. And and when somebody had need, then somebody else sold a field and they, they helped yeah. to provide. That kind of thing. Yeah. Before you move on, just as a bit of a commercial break, have you ever watched um, um, a YouTube clip of Benedict Cumberbatch acting the character of Smaug? You mentioned Smaug earlier oh, yeah. and how he hoards, yeah. hoards his riches. <laughs> I haven't seen that. It is incredible. How he acts. Wow. You, you just imagine that it's just, it's a voiceover. Someone's done some amazing yeah. CGI animation and they just brought Benedict in for a couple of days to do a bit of. But he's but moving around, is he? He is in one of those suits <laughs> with all the kind of. Wow. Folk, you know, the computer points that, that they know his movement. And literally, there's a, he's in this studio somewhere. I mean, it's very unglamorous, warehouse kind of thing. And he's, and then he's got a microphone. So he's he's voicing it as he's moving around, slithering around as his mouth. <laughs> it is you you watch it and you're like that is I have newfound respect for like watching the Hobbit now and and Smaug because I I just That's assumed funny. it was a voiceover and you just think oh it's great great animation fair play, but when you see that there's acting involved and actually it really is Benedict Cumberbatch acting. Good old Cumberbatch. Uh, the character Smaug. It's quite. I'll send it to you later. But that's a bit of a commercial break for our <laughs> listeners. So where do we go next? Well, the word worry. We've been talking a bit about anxiety and worry. Yeah. Uh, it appears, so it appears six times just in this short little passage, which is, you know, a significant thing. Mm -hmm. The Greek word is meramneo. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly, but it's meramneo, which is this kind of, it is like a psych, I mentioned it earlier before. So there is a, an inner turmoil. There's a sense of like 
where you sit by yourself and you worry about something. That is Maramneo. But it's also, it's the sense of worry that disrupts your life. Like it actually spills over into actually affecting your habit, your okay. patterns of your life. Yeah. So somebody who's anxiously running from door to door or somebody who's, wow, the petrol crisis would be a good example, right? So people who, who have half a tank, they actually do have fuel, but they go and anxiously store it up or they buy extra jerry cans and they fill up like so they're which so they're, is why it goes back to that first passage we looked at last week yeah because this whole idea of storing things up they're storing things up based on a on an anxiety which is almost an existential dread which is like if i don't do this no one will take care of me That's so interesting and it disrupts your it it, it kind of takes over your life it becomes yeah. your life right so it's not it's not jesus saying don't think about money because clearly he thinks you he does want you to think about money <laughs> like, yeah don't he's not saying don't think about clothing and food he's saying do think about clothing and food but don't pattern your life after running after them yeah so it's not he's not saying don't think about it he's saying don't marry man know about it don't yeah. run your whole life about it uh luke in luke 10 the famous story of martha and mary um yeah. martha is described with this word so Martha is the one who's running around. She's sort of busy all the time. And she's right. clearly like wants. And then she also wants Mary to be this Maramneo. She wants Mary to jump up and start yeah. living a life of, of anxious activity. And Jesus clearly says, no, Mary's chosen the better way. Right. Because there is something about, you know, over the over last season, I'm not I'm not a worrier. But I have have had more seasons of anxiety than probably any other time in my life over the last eighteen months or so. For, oh, I have too, for sure. Yeah, for varying reasons, and um, it's quite it's quite a new way of living for me. It's not something that I've I'm having to get used to just the very fact that it's there. But it is yeah. something that, um, in my experience, it's like because it's it. There's something about what drawing, wanting, not through any kind of ill will, but just wanting to draw others into your worry and it kind yeah, of right. it somehow validates what you're worried about or anxious about because there's a sense in which well if it's just maybe i'm losing the plot here misery loves i can company. draw other people into it if i can yeah. be the martha that draws mary in it won't be me by my, my by yeah. myself kind of well kind again of, there's a social there's no such thing as a private sin they, they always spill out and i'm thinking of in philippians so in Philippians 4, we've got that famous verse here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in oh, everything yeah. with prayer and petition, present your request to God. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the time we, 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 we think about that in terms of, of, of possessions. But if you go and read Philippians, for example, it's actually all about conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. The Philippians is all about people fighting and jostling for position. And then in Philippians 4, 6, it's, he, Paul uses that same word about Maramnos, like, do not run around drawing everyone into your anxiety, yeah. right? Because that's what they're doing. They're scrabbling for position. They're worried they're going to lose status and face. They're losing power. So their anxiety is drawing other people in and they're shaping their whole community around anxiety. And he says, don't do that. Don't be anxious about anything. But instead, with prayer, present your request to God. And it's, again, it's, a, it's like, well, if somebody was to follow the Sermon on the Mount literally, when trying to resolve a conflict, when anxiety was present, what would they do? And they might say something like what Paul just said. Hmm. Don't you know your heavenly father will give you what you need? You know, But it's I, interesting I, that in that situation, it's not even about money. It's about status. But it's the same word. It has to do with like 
if I don't get it for myself, then I will never have it. So I need to get it from other people. But even even status is is kind of a form of hoarding in the sense yeah, that exactly. you're trying to yeah. accumulate your own sense of position. Yeah. Um, you build, and often you, money is just a is just a proxy for power and status anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's just our way of measuring it. And so often we are actually measuring our, it's our own status that we're worried about. I liked what you said a few weeks ago, actually, um, Stephen, reading, reading Paul almost as a commentary on the teaching of Jesus that I'd never seen. Yeah. You know, we treat them again as kind of siloed letters or siloed uh, descriptions of, of how the church. But if you see Paul as, yeah. a, as an almost Talmudic kind of. Yeah kind of commentary on, on oh, the teaching. Sure. I, I like that kind of framework because you think yeah. oh yeah that of course almost with everything we read in Paul we should go back to the teaching of Jesus. Yeah, it's not, he's not this alien voice that just kind of took over. Yeah. It, it fits. A lot of things Paul is talking about fits. Yeah yeah yeah. The sort of community okay. you might expect to find. Let's look at verse 30 because you know there's this word faith shows up which I really like. Oh yeah he left little faith. <laughs> so if God closed the grass of the so he does the thing that you said he points to nature not to Moses and heroes of the faith. If God yeah. clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I mean, do you remember? Do you know, you know, you know what I like? You know, I like this word, right? What do you remember what I think faith, what I ta- say faith means? <coughs> or what I emphasize what faith means? I, well, as, as far as I understand, faith is placing our trust in the person of Jesus. Yeah, it's a, it's a word, it's that kind of political word of allegiance. Yeah. So it's it's akin to um, follow me to to follow yeah. Jesus rather than to believe this. It's not a mental assent to something that he said. It's a physical, public act of like being associated with him. Yeah. Right. So and of course, so, as we talked about before, the opposite of that is not doubt but offense. Offense. Yeah. Yeah. When you are a person of little faith, you are a person of who is ashamed to be seen to be following the way of Jesus. You're offended. Yeah. By, and ashamed, yeah. By the or offended that, by Jesus, yeah. You're offended that you, your dependence actually that is that is something about human nature, isn't it? The self sufficiency, yeah. Um, it goes back to that, in, particularly in our culture, the individualistic culture. You know, me, myself, and I. It's about my me climbing the greasy pole. You know, all that kind of mantra. Yeah. But, but actually, there is a human nature kind of I want to make it on my own. There is something within me that wants to be able to prove myself to 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 put a stake in the ground and it can feel quite shaming and therefore it, uh, offensive. Mm. If somebody is saying to you, actually your dependence needs to be on someone else. And yeah. And, 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 and also I do. Uh, okay. So I want to put a little step in there is that well, how does God provide? So we have like, again, we have such a strong, uh, our imagination runs to like, if I have faith, then money will drop out of the sky. Yeah. Um, and and I and what I'd love for us is to think it, tweak it a little bit more and think no, that's not yeah. what Jesus is saying here. It's yeah. not if I personally, if I personally drum up some some enthusiasm and wish hard enough, then the universe will provide for me. It's if you follow my way, and you start acting the way I've told you to act, then you will see provision, which is a kingdom thing. It's like a, it, it has to do with us, like. So if if John is in need and Stephen has money and John is a follower of Jesus and Stephen is a follower of Jesus, then then John will not be anxious and Stephen will see his brother in need and will do something. And now yeah. John will be provided for. Yeah. And Stephen and will be anxious because Stephen will say, I can give to John because I know that somebody will give to me one day. 
and 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 he's speaking to a crowd. So of course he's he's not just speaking to. Again, we read it through individualistic eyes. So we, we yeah. read this through. Oh, like you said, if I wish hard enough, then or if I pray hard enough, then I will be provided for. Actually, Jesus is saying, "Listen, you lot. If you get this, if you all live according to this way, then none of you will be in need. I.e., keep your eyes open on one another to see where the need is, and 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 yeah. and." Um, and look out for one I mean, another. people of faith stick together, yeah. And people of anxiety are worried about themselves, and it leads to division, yeah. And that's yeah. you know the the faith has a real like other people centered kind of dynamic yeah. to it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in verse thirty two, again, I just just as just because who I am, I I look at the politics of the thing. Gentiles. The Gentiles here. Yeah, which is an odd thing to show up, right? The Gentiles. Yeah, right. I, it really struck me. Like, why is he suddenly bringing them or into it? The, um, sometimes can be said. So basically, the non-Jews could mean specifically Romans. Okay. Um, so one commentator I was reading was wondering whether that Jesus might have actually been in the region, because um, if he was within view of Mount of Capernaum at this time, which he might have been, there's like there are some Roman towns around. So it's not impossible that he would be like, could wave his hands and actually point to the, to the Gentiles, to yeah. the towns. You could see them, you know, from where you're on the mountain, you go, don't be like those people over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a way, I, I don't know the whole story of it, but it's, it's also a reminder to us that it's not just Jews in this crowd as well. There are, yeah, there are okay. non-Jews here. And we know that from Matthew four. Yeah. We yeah, know yeah, that this yeah. crowd is more than just Jews. Yeah. It's lots of people. And they've yeah. all been both pulled out of different kingdoms. So the Gentiles have been pulled out of their kingdoms, just like the Jews have been pulled out of theirs. So he's kind of teaching to more than one group here. Do you want to hear what my number one take home from all of this is? Oh, yeah. It's that final verse. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow can worry about itself. One day's trouble at a time yeah. is quite enough. And I think it's this, for me, the, the take home that really sits with me is all of this, all of this kind of, appealed for us to not worry and and not think about tomorrow leads us to the place of where jesus encouragement is to us for us to be present yeah to be present in the present yes and 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 that i think for me is such a huge challenge i'm constantly either anxious or regretful about the past or, or nostalgic about the past or i'm anxious and or planning and strategic about the future. And so what that leads me to is that yeah. am I ever am I ever living in today? Really? I'm I'm I've spent I, I'm in today, but my mind is elsewhere. And I think this I love the sense of this because actually we can become much more we can experience the present in a much more technical yeah. way when we're able to let go of yesterday. And yeah. and and address tomorrow when it comes. I mean, I know, I know. There's, I know, mindfulness is such a kind of a, a buzzword right now, and it's yeah, pseudo Buddhism and all that. But there is something about living in being mindful, like living in the moment, mm -hmm. in the present. Yeah, it really is a, a very um, significant theme of Jesus, but also in the, in the rest of the New Testament. I'm reminded of. Uh, in that great there's a thing in hebrews well you have it in your anglican liturgy god sets aside and he called it today and he said today when you hear my voice harden not your hearts well every day is today <laughs> it's like yeah 
God, God appointed a time, and which is, by the way, it's today. <laughs> and you're, yeah. you, you always experience today. And yeah. Kierkegaard really picked up on this a lot. He actually really loved this idea of living in the present. In fact, he built a whole, his whole philosophy of personal authenticity and, and identity was based on this, what you've just talked about. Uh, that when you live... Really? Yeah. Where so would that, you want to look, look? Well, I mean... A number, a number of places it is throughout his works, but there, there's one called the Philosophical Fragments, and there's another one called Practice in Christianity, where he's essentially talking about the different types of people that live in. He's describing Christendom, and he doesn't just mean Christians; he just means people living in the civilized yeah. European West. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's one group of people that are. I mean, you could almost call them the conservatives. Like they live in the past. They're like, well. Things were better back then. Mm-hmm. It's all bad now. Uh, they're very historical minded. They're always talking about the golden age. Uh, they're always going on about their history. So their whole identity is based in the past. And then there's another group. I suppose we might call them the progressives or something. And, but their whole identity is based on tomorrow. Like it'll get better eventually. Or if it, <laughs> it's it's crap right now, but the, the utopia is coming. And yeah. And the, the so there's this idea that like their identity is rooted in the future. Yeah. And Kierkegaard notices that Christians are all these things, right? So they fall in all these camps. But he said, but the problem with both of those points of view has to do with they've kind of, they've knocked themselves out of the one thing they actually experience. So no human being lives in the past (laughs) and no human being actually lives in the future. We all live in the present. That's the only thing we experience. So if you have a philosophy or a way of life that basically can't account for the present, then you're living a lie. <laughs> like yeah. there's something wrong with your system. If your system is so focused on something that we don't actually experience. Yeah. And then he, he then he goes further because he says, well, this is also important because you don't ever know a person unless you live in the moment with them. Like you don't, uh, you're not going to know somebody unless you're present with yeah. them. Yeah. And also you're not going to ever really understand the historical figure unless you realize that they themselves lived in the moment. So, for example, the Gospels, if you just think of the Gospels as this historical book, then you're going to miss something. But if you think, oh, no, everybody who wrote, like I said, that phrase from soup to nuts, <laughs> that phrase, said, but like everybody who, who wrote these words and then who read these words for the first time, they lived in the present as well. They lived in their present. Yeah. So if you're going to understand them, you have to basically put yourself in the present with them. You have to definitively put yourself in. Uh, Kierkegaard calls it living contemporaneously with the past mm-hmm. and to recognize they were real humans too. And they had a present, they had a today. And that's the only way you're going to relate to other people. And so there's developing a kind of a social philosophy based on yeah. the time. And then he says, and the other thing is that God, when we say God is eternal, we don't mean God is in the future. So we, so future minded people tend to think that eternity means a future that's going on forever yeah. that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But when the when the gospels, when the Hebrews and the Greeks who wrote the Bible talked about eternity, they didn't mean a future that hasn't happened yet. So when they said God is eternal, they don't mean God is coming down the pike, but he hasn't arrived yeah. yet. Yeah. yeah. What they mean is God is always present. But I I he's eternally I agree with in that. De- I agree with that definition. I think most of us don't work I think most of us no. work to the former. I think most of us work to. Oh yeah, for sure. We're future yeah. minded. We think of it as a future minded thing. And so Soren is saying, like, you you need 
really robust vision of the present. If you're going to relate to other people, if you're going to relate to yourself, and if you're going to relate to God, because God only exists in the present. <laughs> He's always that, present. And that's how we tie that back into the conversation we had last week about money. Right. Because actually, if your anxiety and your worry is about usually wrapped up in the future, that often manifests itself in future provision, which is, causes you to store things yes. up and to yes. buy more stuff. And But yeah. actually... Yeah. That that money and and worry thing goes together because yeah. because it, it, what ties it together is that sense of being present. I don't, today I am okay. Today is yeah. a, today is a, it's is today, and this is where I'm called to live right now. And also, and like I said before, I mean, this might be a good note to end on. Really, it's like yeah, if you find yourself in need, then you can. The idea is to sort of train your heart and mind to not be anxious and to wait for the for your provision. But if you find yourself with excess, you can give without anxiety. Yeah. So like we get to be the answer to somebody else's prayer, really. Like, I, you know, that it's, it isn't just sort of magic money falling from the sky. It's oh, I've often said this before, like this. We all had these stories, right? Like I, I might have probably even mentioned on a dig deeper, but we've all heard these anecdotes of like, you know, John and your family. I imagine like, wow, we were praying. And we really needed 20 pounds to, to meet that day's budget. We needed it. We didn't have anything. And so we prayed for it. And then the doorbell rang and I opened the door yeah. and there was an envelope yeah. on the ground. We had 20 pounds in it. You know, it's like wonderful, wonderful provision. I'm like, yeah, I totally believe that's wonderful provision. But that 20 pounds didn't just flutter and fall from no. the sky. Somebody was a somebody else was sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Who said, I want you to do something really weird. I want you to drive around to John's house and anonymously put 20 quid into an envelope and then i want you to ring the bell and run away <laughs> and you think how many yeses how many people saying yes to god has happened before that miracle could take place right yeah, it's a yeah. lot of human beings saying yes to god yeah. and not being anxious about it yeah and so i am very pro miracle i just think that that the kingdom of god is the solution people living to the kingdom of god is the provision of the kingdom of god which is why I like the phrase that Mike Pilavachi often uses, which is about being naturally supernatural. Right. It's it's earthed in the natural um, because God chooses to use us as His people. Right. To do His work, His hands and feet on this earth. Yeah. But it's governed by the supernatural, and um, it's a great place to end. It is a good place to end. That's Stephen, fun. Thanks, I was, John. I was unsure we'd fill an hour, but we definitely did, and we could have gone on longer. But thank you for joining us again this week, Stephen, and we'll see you next well, week. I'm going to go rest my voice. <laughs> Do. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune, and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leaving a good review on your chosen podcast platform. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tentheology.com.